You are tuned to KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. It's 6 p.m. Tuesday, May 2nd. I'm Joyce Miller, and this is the KVMR Evening News. The California report finds the university town of Davis is on edge after three stabbings, two of them fatal, in the past six days. After regional news and weather, Orion Raish-Kot of KVMR's Youth News Corps looks into the effect on teenagers of a permissive cannabis culture. Hydrologist Steve Baker teaches our own Paul Emery about the connection between googling and guzzling in today's Water Talk. This is the California Report. I'm Maddie Bolaños in San Francisco. The drop in California's population that was triggered by the COVID-19 pandemic is slowing. As KQED's Taiki Hendricks explains, that's thanks to stable births, fewer deaths, and a rebound in foreign immigration. For decades, California's population steadily grew. But since COVID hit, there are 700,000 fewer Californians. Now, state demographers say that decline is leveling out, putting us at just under 39 million. Fewer people died in 2022 than the year before, and about the same number of babies were born. There are still more people leaving for other states than moving here, but the number of new immigrants is up again, nearly back to pre-pandemic arrivals. Most California counties shrank. Santa Cruz, Marin, Napa, Monterey, and Los Angeles counties were among those that lost the biggest share of their population. For the California Report, I'm Tyke Hendricks. For the third time in less than a week, police in the Northern California community of Davis, west of Sacramento, are investigating a violent stabbing in the city. A woman living in a homeless encampment was stabbed late last night, and police say she's in critical condition. Police went door-to-door searching for the suspect, but lifted a shelter-in-place order early this morning. This comes after two fatal stabbings last week, including one involving a 20-year-old UC Davis student on Saturday night. Dan Beckwith with Davis Police tells CBS Sacramento it's still too early to tell if the stabbings are connected. I can tell you that the description that we have of the subject is similar. We still are in the very, very preliminary stages of this evening. This is very fresh. Davis Police have asked the FBI to help with the investigation. Support for the California Report comes from the California Healthcare Foundation, Listening to Black Californians, a new study on how the healthcare system undermines the pursuit of good health, on the web at chcf.org lbca. The Wesley Foundation, investing in California's underserved children and youth. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes 11th Hour Racing, working to connect sustainability with sport to help restore ocean health, on the web at 11thHourRacing.org. The construction industry in California wants to hire more women to meet a shortage of skilled workers. But access to childcare is keeping many of these women from joining the trades. KQED's Daisy Wynn explains why. At a construction training center in Pleasanton, Tamara Hayward and 10 other women are hammering in a lumber yard. They're about to graduate from a boot camp for carpentry. But before they can finish, they have to show mastery of nailing a window frame. It's like butter now. We know how to do it, how to operate the hammer correctly. For six grueling weeks, 
Hayward has been driving 90 miles from her home in Sacramento to this center. She would spend the day learning how to use tools and machinery safely and then drive back to work the night shift at an Amazon warehouse. Sometimes she delivers food for DoorDash to make ends meet. While she's away, she relies on family members to look after her three children, a 12-month-old baby, and two older kids who are 4 and 15. So I've got someone different watching my kids every single day, and I'm struggling paycheck to paycheck right now. California is trying to get women like Hayward to break into the male-dominated construction industry by promoting apprenticeships that will lead to better-paying jobs. The industry itself needs hundreds of thousands of skilled workers to replace older ones who are retiring. But only 3.5% of people enrolled in these types of apprenticeships are women. Katie Hagen is the director of the California Department of Industrial Relations. If you've talked to women in the industry, they will likely share the challenge of finding affordable and accessible childcare as a significant barrier. That's why builders are supporting legislation that would invest in more child care. Andrew Meredith is the president of the State Building and Construction Trades Council. He says construction workers often go to job sites before dawn, so they need child care during non-traditional hours. In the valley where it gets over 100 degrees during the summer, a lot of our construction job sites pivot to starting at 6 o'clock in the morning. Women are actually, you know, looking for programs that can take their children at 5 or 5.30 in the morning or, God forbid, even sometimes earlier than that. Meanwhile, the state is giving $25 million in grants. A big part of that will cover the cost of child care for women starting their careers in construction. Tamara Hayward says that money will help her get through the next phase of her training. She'll be on call when a construction job comes up, and she'll earn enough money in this one job. She also won't have to rely on family to watch her kids, and childcare will be subsidized. Two years of receiving a childcare stipend will allow me to save two years of income that I would have taken away from my household for childcare, you know, and and I want to buy a house, so I'm also going to be able to save money to buy a house for my children. On the final day of the boot camp, Hayward said she woke up early, prepared bottles of milk for her baby, and got in her car. I just finished giving her the last of the last of the breast milk that I made. But I remind myself the reason why I come to this program is so that I don't have to continue the cycle of struggle. She says her kids and the promise of a better future motivate her to keep going. For the California Report, I'm Daisy Nguyen in Pleasanton. Tomorrow, we'll take a look at the early education workforce and how their low pay is affecting parents' access to child care. Promotoras from across California are rallying at the state capitol today for a legislative day of action. They're calling on Governor Newsom to allocate $10 million in the state budget for community-based organizations to fund their work. Promotoras are often the first point of contact for underserved communities looking for resources. Maria Limas is the executive director for Visión y Compromiso, a nonprofit organization that supports and connects promotoras with community-based organizations. Lima says promotoras were essential during the pandemic, and the state should recognize their work by providing appropriate funding. What they'll do is they'll figure out what the needs are for the vecinos, and then they'll go and find those resources and bring them back. Needs that can range from distributing information on where to get a vaccine to where to find childcare. 
And that's the California Report for Tuesday, May 2nd. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm your host, Madi Bolaños. Thanks for listening and have a great day. In regional news, on Monday, Nevada County staff members and Supervisor Sue Hook ceremonially broke ground on a project meant to enlarge and improve the McCourtney Road Transfer Station. The project will alter the transfer station's footprint to accommodate increased traffic and the demand for recycling and solid waste services. A county news release also states the project will bring the facility into compliance with the state mandate for organic food waste collection. Other parties taking part in the groundbreaking were Bobo Construction, Hanson Brothers Enterprises, and Waste Management Incorporated. The $22 million project is scheduled to be completed in fall of next year. Ranchers in Placer, Nevada, and Yuba counties, along with UC Cooperative Extension and the three counties' agricultural departments, have started a program meant to increase safety for livestock in the case of wildfire and other emergencies. Evacuating livestock from large-scale commercial ranching operations may not be possible in the event of a major incident. The safest alternative may be sheltering in place, a news release from the UC Cooperative Extension says. It said safe access by trained and qualified ranch personnel is critical to livestock welfare, firefighter safety, and public safety. The Disaster Livestock Access Program enrolls and trains commercial livestock operators as livestock access pass holders. These helpers may be permitted into evacuation zones or other restricted areas to provide feed, water, medical treatment, and other care to commercial livestock. Here's your regional forecast from the National Weather Service. Expect unsettled weather this week with cooler temperatures, showers, isolated thunderstorms, and high elevation snow. Rivers and creeks will continue to flow high, cold, and fast. This evening in Nevada City and Grass Valley, a chance of showers and thunderstorms with a low around 40. Wednesday, partly cloudy with a chance of afternoon and evening showers, a high near 58, and a low around 42. Tonight in Truckee and Lake Tahoe, snow showers and some thunder are likely with a low around 27. The high country could see up to 2 inches of new snow. Wednesday, a chance of snow showers before 2 p.m., then a chance of rain and thunder, otherwise partly sunny with a high near 47. Wednesday night, a chance of rain showers before 8 p.m., then possible rain, snow showers, and thunder with a low in the high 20s. For Sacramento and Woodland tonight, a slight chance of showers after midnight with a low near 50 degrees. Wednesday, partly sunny with a high near 68 and a low of 52. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. Many sectors of Nevada County's population have a permissive attitude toward the use of cannabis. How does our local cannabis culture potentially affect our county's youth? Orion Raishkot, a reporter with KVMR's Youth News Corps, went looking for answers. Just a disclaimer. 
KBMR does not condone illegal underage marijuana use. While teenagers using cannabis is not a new thing, Nevada County's accessibility and openness has prompted teens to switch from just hanging out with friends and smoking to also using marijuana to go to sleep or de-stress. Is acceptance of weed use in Nevada County doing good, not affecting, or setting a bad example for our youth? I interviewed a local teenager versed in user culture to see what they have to say about what they've seen. She is 16, a sophomore in high school, and she says that the hardest thing about being high in school is decreased motivation and focus. It's really hard to be high in class. When asked about the positives of weed use in school, she says there are close to none. I don't know. I don't really think there is a huge positive to smoking in school. Like smoking can help with test anxiety, I would suppose, if you are the type of person who, when you do smoke, it reduces anxiety. If someone has social anxiety, if being high is what helps, that could definitely be a positive. Her overall takeaway? Anything you do high, you could probably do better sober. I also had the pleasure of talking to Daniel Pamelli, a PhD of anatomy and neurobiology and the director of the Institute for the Study of Cannabis at UC Irvine. I asked, what happens to youth when they use cannabis? This is what he had to say. We have some data, but definitely not enough. Young people and adult people respond differently to cannabis. So there is a big, there are big changes in the way the body reacts to the main ingredient in cannabis, tetrahydrocannabinol or THC. So THC combined with uh, this receptor proteins, uh, they're present throughout the body um, and they're called cannabinoid receptors. It binds to cannabinoid receptors in the brain. That process causes the experience of having a high or being stoned. But there are also cannabinoid receptors outside the brain. You say, why do we have cannabinoid receptors? Because we have our own molecules. They're called endocannabinoids. The endocannabinoids, they are cannabis-like molecules. They also bind to the cannabinoid receptor. And they're really, really important to the development of certain parts of the brain. Use of cannabis can interfere with that development. That's the reason why early life use is so much more concerning and problematic than using adults. Then I asked if CBD acted differently on the body compared to THC. And if so, what happens to youth then? CBD does not bind, does not combine with the cannabinoid receptor almost at all. But what I can say is that it does some interesting and useful things. It has been shown that CBD can alleviate certain forms of child epilepsy that are genetically produced. And so there is a lot of hope that CBD will also be even more useful. The teenage years are years of a lot of changes, a lot of things happening. There are a few things about CBD that do worry me. For example, the ability to alleviate anxiety. That is something that has been widely reported in the literature, but not in the scientific literature. It's widely reported you know, in the internet, in popular sites, etc. But in reality, the evidence is very, very limited. And what the evidence tells us so, is that you need very high doses of CBD to actually not have a placebo effect. But also there is another potential bio, uh, sort of health cost. CBD is, is destroyed by the liver, and it will now keep the liver busy while the liver should be doing other things. You know, people can lose focus, cannot do very well in school. He then went on to explain the difference in using weed once or twice compared to using it every day. I mean, I understand, you know, teenagers want to explore things, they want to try new things. 
And honestly, I don't think if they try cannabis once or twice, anything is going to happen to them. The problem is if it becomes a habit. So if every day now they're going to have a huge amount of cannabis or a huge amount of CBD, in that case what happens is that you have all sort of potential issues arising. Some of them may be permanent. Likewise, you know, we show that if you give low doses of THC to a mouse daily during adolescence, when the animals are adult, they can no longer cope with social stress. Now, if you do the same treatment in adulthood, nothing happens unless there is an, over, an overwhelming reason to use cannabis, I would try to limit cannabis use under the age of 25 as much as possible. Is acceptance of weed use in Nevada County doing good for our youth? My name is Orion Reishkot from KVMR Community Radio's Youth News Corps. The KVMR Youth News Corps is funded by AJA Video Systems, a privately owned global video technology company based in Grass Valley, California since 1993. AJA Video Systems is deeply dedicated to Grass Valley, Nevada City community, recognizing the need for investment in youth and education initiatives. In today's conversation about water, hydrologist Steve Baker schools our own Paul Emery on the surprising connection between internet usage and water consumption. So before your next consultation with ChatGPT, keep in mind that going paperless doesn't mean going waterless. Steve also delves into another connection, that between the availability of water and basic human rights. This Water News with Steve Baker is supported by Clearwater and Filtration on Rough and Ready Highway, Grass Valley. Steve, I thought we were jumping right into summer. What's going on? (laughs) The outlook for the first half of the month is a bunch of unsettled winter-like weather. How about that? Go figure. The long-range weather models, they're saying it's going to be wet and it's going to be cool. Can't really say this weather is because of El Nino. I have been hearing a lot about El Nino, but it's uh, El Nino is not expected to arrive, if it arrives, until summertime. So I consider this cool weather actually a blessing. It's going to slow down all that rapid, otherwise rapidly melting snowpack. So it's, it's protecting us somewhat from flooding down below. Another topic, and this is a, this is a bizarre one. Uh, I read recently that our reliance on the Internet is really a water guzzler. I know. Okay, explain that to me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, those data centers, uh, they require a lot of electricity because uh, computer chips, they don't like the heat. So the uh, electricity creates the heat on the chips. The chips need to be cooled, and that uses a lot of water that turns the steam and goes into the atmosphere. And then there's also just the recognition that those data centers use a huge amount of electricity. And that also requires at the plant that creates the electricity a lot of steam, which goes into the atmosphere. So it's a double whammy. Google's data center, uh, the ones just in the U.S., okay, they consume, get this, 5,000 Olympic-sized pools. That's how much water evaporates into the atmosphere. That, this is uh, statistics from 2021. That's an incredible amount of water, uh, just from one activity, in this case, Google's data centers. Uh, if you look at it another way, if you run on the, at their center, say, 20 to 50 uh, artificial uh, intelligence in- in queries, that requires about 17 ounces of fresh water, believe it or not, that turns to steam and is lost. 
So, so when we use our computers, we're actually using water. That's, that's uh, something I wasn't really realizing either. Wow. So it's back to the basics. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But our reservo- reservoirs are filled. Uh, why shouldn't we continue with how we've been using water and the Internet? One, one good or even phenomenal water year like, like this year doesn't really solve our water problems, as good as it looks right now. The Central Valley aquifers, they barely got a nudge on filling them back up again. They're severely depleted. They're not in balance. The Rocky Mountain watershed, okay, they receive a lot more water just like California, but we're not seeing that in, in the Colorado River. Colorado River still looking at some pretty uh, serious problems, and th- nothing has really changed. And topping all that off, Mother Nature is becoming even more unpredictable from one year to the next. So good water years like this year barely put a dent in things and refilling aquifers and uh, maybe is it something we want to do, but also widely distributing water to all of our storage options is what we want to continue to do. And it's taking a, a rethinking how we use uh, water and power. I mean, we're, we're looking at, at, at all these things, uh, data centers, uh, agriculture, the whole, the whole nine yards. We have to do things differently. And, and, it, and time will tell as far as how we make these uh, changes and how we can uh, weather through the extremes that we'll be experiencing. Okay, then, I suppose we need better ways to manage our water here in California than we're using right now. Oh, we, re- we really do. One of our main management tools these days in the western United States is the water rates, the current water rate system. And ours is a bit of a hybrid in California, but nevertheless, it's a system that gives priority to the age of a person's water usage, okay? It's called the first-in-time, first-in-right. You know, if you were out there using the water first, it's yours first when it's available, but there is a bit of a moral dilemma with that as we have uh, increased with so many people relying on water in our state. And an example of this would be um, during a really low year, a drought year, using the water rights system that we have right now, we could, may have to tell a municipality that is really has a very low water right. In other words, they're the last one to get their water. We may have to tell them, uh, you know, boy, it's, we don't have enough water this year. There's just not enough to go around. Darn, I, I hope it's better for you guys next year. While the 100,000 people that that municipality represents need water every day. What do you do? Okay, this dilemma is going to show up more and more. I know it's already shown up in the state of, Cal- of uh, Washington, Washington State. And this matter of time, it'll probably start happening here as, as well. We passed a water law also in California um, a number of years ago f- that states that everyone has a right to safe and affordable water without discrimination. Okay, so this prioritizes water for personal and domestic use. So there are changes that are happening. But thinking of that law that specific law about the rights to safe and affordable water I, makes me wonder about the merits of, say, this proposed Rise Gold Mine, just as an example, um, and the contingencies that you need to respond to the right to safe, affordable water, okay? This is a really big deal because uh, in that particular dewatering scenario, there's some real concerns over uh, uh, people's wells going dry. And um, you need a robust, comprehensive program that's going to incorporate monitoring for triggers surrounding these wells, the ones that will be impacted. And if you don't do that, there could be people who will not receive their right to safe and affordable water without discrimination. It's, it's, 
it's a problem how this will show its face. I'm just using the rise gold, the potential rise gold project as an example, but this is true in so many other categories too. So, so time will tell. I, I predict that California will eventually adapt their current water rate system because it's an archaic one. It's an old one. And when that happens, it will be unprecedented. I can tell you that. And um, just recognize the current water rate system is really very old. So keep on listening and keep on watching. Well, a lot of information, Steve. Thank you very much. Managing groundwater is Steve Baker's career and passion, and that has led him into working on all water sources and supplies. This has been another conversation with KVMR's water guy, Steve Baker. You can email him with your questions at water at operationunite.co. That's our newscast for Tuesday, the second day of May. KVMR Community Radio gets support from Wallace Design Studio Architects, providing architectural design for commercial, residential, and medical projects throughout California. Examples of recent projects include Insight Imaging, Culture Shock Yogurt, Cake Bakery, and Valor Oncology. More information available at wallacedesignstudio.com. And A to Z Hardware Supply and Garden Center, locally owned and operated by the Wheat family since 1984, offering construction and plumbing materials, lawn and garden supplies, also beekeeping and canning necessities on Ridge Road, Grass Valley, A to Z Supply.com. Support for KVMR's Future of Radio project comes from AJA Video Systems, empowering the next generation of local journalists and broadcasters. This is Joyce Miller signing off. Join us Wednesday for another edition of the KVMR Evening News.